This is Liberation Station Radio Show with Chris Steiner, where the focus is your health personally, economically, and ecologically. Teaching the news others lose proves that's what you can truly use. Call into the show at 727-441-3000 or toll-free 866-826-1340. Listen on the TAN Talk Network with six Florida stations, Clearwater WTAN 1340 AM and 106.1 FM, Dade City WDCF 1350 AM and 102.3 FM, Zephyr Hills WZHR 1400 AM and 104.3 FM. Call into the show at 727-441-3000 or toll free 866-826-1340 and you can say... Welcome back to the June 15th, 2021 Reboot Edition of the Liberation Station Radio Show with Chris Steiner. That's me. And the announcer is not on the on the microphone right now. It's actually me, the host, who does the announcements, so don't be shocked. Well, uh, we have a lot to catch up on and a lot of very little-known news that we need to cover. And uh, I'm just going to start out with some of the basics, not a whole lot of the um, news just to catch people up on the basics that a lot of the activists when it comes to health freedom and bodily autonomy have been saying for years things like we need to reform the government system for reporting vaccine adverse events the VAERS system vaccine adverse event reporting system that is run by the CDC and the FDA People like Barbara Lowe Fisher have been saying on national newscasts for decades and uh, Robert F. Kennedy Jr. more recently of Children's Health Defense, uh, Barbara Lowe Fisher's of National Vaccine Information Center, NVIC.org, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. is at childrenshealthdefense.org, an invaluable uh, set of resources and staff that they have there. So they've been saying we need to turn the VAERS system into mandatory, not just voluntary reporting, because we need to know how deep the rabbit hole goes and uh, you know often doctors and physicians will not report adverse events despite what the patients uh, report uh, patients insist so um, there's a lot of reforms that are to be uh, discussed but um, i just wanted to address that out of the gate because there's this talking point oh you can't just depend on the government's vaccine adverse event reporting system because people can report anything well number one there are legal penalties to those who do, and people have been found out for making false reports. So there are safeguards, but that's such a, a statement that lacks concern that you can't trust the government's own database. Well, then let's reform it. 
And as I said, Barbara Lowe Fisher, National Vaccine Information Center, NVIC.org, and Robert F. Kennedy Jr. are doing great jobs, very in-depth analysis on their dealings on trying to get the data, but we'll cover the shocking data of the ongoing genocide according to the statistics. But first, I want to get into some announcements and uh, let me get my technical, my computer, uh, my second computer loaded up here in just a moment because it was doing Windows updates. And that should uh, allow me to be have a backup. You gotta have your backups to your backups when you're doing a live show. All right, I'm all set. And so we have um, coming up here some events. Uh, first of all, uh, the Health and Freedom Conference in Tampa, June 17th through the 19th at the River of Tampa Bay Church. A lot of great speakers there, a lot of great speakers over those three days. And um, I just can't, I don't have the time to get into it all. I have too much information to cover tonight. So you can check that out if you just go to my website and at the very top of the homepage is the at theliberationstation.com. That's T-H-E, liberationstation.com. All these events that I'm reading to you are posted and linked. So that's the Health and Freedom Conference, June 17th through 19th, and uh, that's going to have a lot of uh, great scientists and doctors as well. You can uh, go to the River at Tampa Bay Church at 3738 River International Drive in Tampa, and their number is 918-851-0102. That's 918-851-0102 can email info at thrivetimeshow.com. That number again, 918-851-0102, and email info at thrivetimeshow.com. And uh, you can also just go to thrivetimeshow.com slash Tampa hyphen conference. That's thrivetimeshow.com slash Tampa hyphen conference. Next event, Non-Toxic Safety Harbor has an event June 17th from 7 to 8.30 p.m. Pesticides and Safety Harbor Parks Public Forum. It's an online Zoom event. And uh, residents of Safety Harbor are invited to discuss the use of toxic synthetic pesticides in our parks and public spaces. We will hear from Kim Conte, the founder of Non-Toxic Neighborhood, Non-Toxic Neighborhoods, that is, nontoxicneighborhoods.org, about the work she does converting municipalities across the country to safer and more environmentally friendly land management. And uh, you can find again that link at the top of theliberationstation.com as well as this event, June 21st, 2021, Largo has a screening from Florida Freedom Keepers of 1986 The Act. That's 1986 The Act by Dr. Andrew Wakefield. It's on the liability protection of vaccines in the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986. And the address there, uh, well, the uh, time is 6 to 9 p.m. for that screening, and the cost is $10. The address is 1550 South Belcher Road in Largo. That's 1550 South Belcher Road in Largo. Now there's also the PREP Act, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act of 2005. I'm talking about this because remember, we have to think global or federal and act local to prevent and uproot bad laws and policies. And in a few minutes, I'll explain what they both do, what the PREP Act and the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 do. But, 
First, uh, because, you know, of course, um, what's more important, I think, is what affects global policies. It trickles down onto the federal, national, and, of course, local. The highly conflicted World, World Health Organization, um, we'll get into, and uh, a little bit of their history, but um, just a little bit, there's so much. But to explain the federal law, um, the Act of 1986 uh, will follow after I get into this uh, little dissertation on the World Health Organization. But let's just examine how the World Health Organization covers uh, reports. Um, of course, they flip-flop, but <laughs> how they report on the COVID so-called vaccines because they don't fit the definition of vaccines. They don't have any part of any germ in them, and they don't prevent infection. Yes, that's right. The World Health Organization says so, as well as many other sources. But of course, uh, if you want to go to the horse's mouth, you can go to the design studies by Moderna and Pfizer and the others. And Peter Doshi, who's assistant medical editor at the British Medical Journal, reports on this very in-depth. And uh, he's just been a pioneer in years past as well on so much fraud in the medical field. That's Peter Doshi, spelled D-O-S-H-I. But uh, let's get back to what are these COVID-19 shots? Well, David Martin has a work called Federal Trade Commission Deceptive Medical Practices and SARS. He says purported COVID vaccines are admittedly not vaccines. And David Martin explains uh, that for makers of such products to falsely advertise that they are vaccines is a violation of federal law, Title 15 of the U.S. Code, Section 41. He writes, it is unlawful under the Federal Trade Commission Act, Title 15, the U.S. Code, Section 41, that sequence, or meaning and following, to advertise that a product or service can prevent, treat, or cure human disease unless you possess competent and reliable scientific evidence, including, when appropriate, well-controlled human clinical studies, substantiating that the claims are true at the time they are made. And the definition of the vaccine, according to the CDC's own website, um, you can uh, see is a product that stimulates a person's immune system to produce immunity to a specific disease, protecting the person from that disease. Vaccines are usually administered through needle injections, but can also be administered by mouth or sprayed into the nose. And they also define immunity, protection from an infectious disease. If you are immune to a disease, you can be exposed to it without becoming infected. That's pretty clear. The primary endpoint is the prevention of symptomatic COVID-19 disease. The secondary endpoints include prevention of severe COVID-19 disease and prevention of infection by SARS-CoV-2. That's a quote from Moderna's own website. So they're admitting that their, their primary endpoint is the prevention of symptomatic COVID-19 disease. Key secondary endpoints include prevention of severe COVID-19 disease and prevention of infection by SARS-CoV-2. Of course, that second endpoint was never checked, uh, tested in the designs, in the study designs, as you can see. If you read uh, Peter Doshi's work as he outlines them. And uh, as of this writing, according to the new journal, England of Medicine, no correlate of protection for SARS-CoV-2 has been established. And I'll give you that. Um, 
study in just a moment. Hmm. We'll have to post that on the show's webpage, on the page for the show itself. So check out the June 15th, 2021 show, and we will have that study because, uh, there we go. It looks like um, it's just loading slowly. I'm not sure here. Um, yes, it's entitled, okay, the study is, is will be posted on the website, but the study, if you'd like to check it out, is Safety and Immunogenicity of SARS-CoV-2 and uh, SARS-CoV-2 mRNA-1273 vaccine in older adults. Now, let's see. Um, there is also a quote from that. No existing vaccines have been shown to be effective against infection with any beta coronavirus, the family that includes SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19. And uh, there's also a great article that David Martin references that I'm not going to, but it's excellent that it's uh, in the New England Journal of Medicine, December 31st, 2020. SARS-CoV-2 vaccination, an ounce, actually must, much less, of prevention. Editorial by Eric J. Rubin, MD, PhD, Dan L. Longo, MD. And they're writing in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, that these design, these uh, studies on the so-called COVID-19 vaccines were never designed to prevent deaths, hospitalizations, and severe symptoms. Now back to the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 that confers liability protection to pharma companies' vaccines that are FDA approved. Now, these COVID-19 shots are not FDA approved. They're only approved for emergency use authorization by the FDA. Now, the pharma company liability protection for COVID-19 and other alleged COVID-19 vaccines are administered according to the rules of the FDA's emergency use authorization. And we'll go into that another time, but uh, suffice it to say that those criteria for emergency use authorization have not been met. Now, the PREP Act, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act of 2005, immunologist Tetiana Abukonich writes, did you know about the PREP Act, which provides immunity from liability to all those involved in countermeasures to public health emergencies? It doesn't say that the said, quote unquote, countermeasures have to be reasonable, effective, evidence-based, and not be worse than the emergency itself. This may help explain the observed disproportionality of the quote-unquote countermeasures that have no checks and balances with reality. The Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act authorizes the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, also known as the Secretary in this text, to issue a declaration, PREP Act declaration, that provides immunity from liability except for willful misconduct, for claims of loss caused arising out of, relating to, or resulting from, administration or use of countermeasures to diseases, threats, and conditions determined by the Secretary to constitute a present or credible risk of a future public health emergency to entities and individuals involved in the development, manufacture, testing, distribution, administration, and use of such countermeasures. End quote. So that's the PREP Act that protects pharma companies from liability for injuries and deaths for 
emergency use authorization drugs like the so-called COVID shots. But the National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 confers liability protection to pharma companies for the FDA-approved vaccines. So either way, before you want to talk about, well, should we have uh, vaccine passports or require people to get a vaccine, a COVID shot before they can work, hey, let's not even acknowledge that, hey, they have better immunity if they've recovered. They have natural, lifelong immunity, not normally uh, lifelong immunity. And they can also donate convalescent plasma. We'll get into that later in the show. But if you've gotten a COVID shot, the Red Cross will not take your blood for convalescent plasma, which contains the antibodies, which otherwise would save a COVID patient. But if you have recovered from COVID naturally, then you can donate COVID uh, convalescent plasma to help a COVID patient recover. And also there's maternal immunity, that there are studies that show that you sac- the mother or the mother-to-be sacrifices her maternal immunity to the coronaviruses if she gets a COVID shot. But if she doesn't, she passes on, and she's recovered, and she hasn't had a COVID shot, she passes that on to the baby. Now, we have a clip coming up of, um, this is clip number one, Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, chief scientist at the World Health Organization, said coronavirus vaccines don't prevent infection and much more. But that, this is on December 28th, 2020. This is uh, the World Health Organization chief scientist, Dr. Sumya Swaminathan, and please roll that clip. Vaccines are very safe. If someone gets sick after vaccination, it is usually either a coincidence, an error in administering the vaccine, or very rarely a problem with the vaccine itself. That's why we have vaccine safety systems. Robust vaccine safety systems allow health workers and experts to react immediately to any problems that may arise. They can examine the problem rigorously and scientifically look at the data and then promptly address the problem. WHO works closely with countries to make sure that vaccines can do what they do best, prevent disease without risks. New vaccines against malaria, meningitis and encephalitis in Asia and Africa are now being thoroughly monitored with support from WHO. Vaccines are one of the safest tools we have to prevent disease and ensure a healthy future for all children. Well, that wasn't the right clip, but we'll just add some context to it and we'll try to get back to the clip that uh, I was hoping to play here. And again, if um, you want to check any of this, uh, any of these references uh, you want to check out will be posted on the website at theliberationstation.com for the June 15th, 2021 show. So that was, uh, that was uh, Sumya, uh, I'm sorry, the World Health Organization's uh, chief scientist saying that uh, vaccines are safe. And um, let me try to find... Um, find exactly on what date that was here. I'm trying to catch up here. 
Um, and give me just a moment because I am so uh, such a stickler for details. But the point is that five days later, uh, she said the opposite. And um, I'll, I'll give some context. If you have clip uh, that next clip to play, not clip one, but uh, clip three. What we just heard was clip two. So if you have clip three to play, or, or w tell me which, hold up your fingers, which clip do you have to play, have ready to play? Vaccines are very safe. If someone gets sick after well, vaccination, that, that's a clip that we just played. Either a coincidence. And uh, can you play the one following that or the one before that? Thank you. That's great. This is December 3rd, 2019 in Geneva, There's Switzerland. There's a lot of safety science that's needed. And um, without the good science, we can't have good communication. So although I'm talking about all these other contextual issues and communication issues, it absolutely needs the science as the backbone. You can't repurpose the same old science to make it sound better if you don't have the science that's relevant to the new problem. So we need much more investment in safety science. I think we cannot overemphasize And this the is her, the Ch World really Health Organization chief scientist. Safety uh, monitoring systems in many countries and this adds to the miscommunication and the misapprehensions because we're not able to give clear-cut answers when people ask questions about the deaths that have occurred due to a particular vaccine and this always gets blown up in the media. Uh, one should be able to give uh, a, a very factual account of what exactly has happened and what the cause of deaths are. But in most cases, there's some obfuscation at that level, and, and therefore there's uh, less and less trust then in, in, in the system. Every time that there is an association, be it temporal or not temporal, the first accusation is it is the adjuvant and yet without adjuvants we are not going to have the next generation of vaccines and many of the vaccines that we do have ranging from tetanus through to HPV require adjuvants in order for them to work so the challenge that we have in front of us is how do we build confidence in this and the confidence first of all comes from the regulatory agencies to Marianne when we add an adjuvant it's because it is essential we do not add adjuvants to vaccines because we want to do so. But when we add them, it, in, it adds to the complexity. And I give courses every year on how do you develop vaccines, how do you make vaccines. And the first lesson is, while you're making your vaccine, if you can avoid using an adjuvant, please do so. Lesson two is, if you're going to use an adjuvant, use one that has a history of safety. And lesson three is, if you're not going to do that, think very carefully. It seems to me that adjuvants multiply the immunogenicity of the antigens that they are added to, and that is their intention. It seems to me they multiply the reactogenicity in many instances, and therefore it seems to me that it is not to unexpected if they multiply the incidence of adverse reactions that are associated with the antigen but may not have been detected through lack of statistical power in the original studies.
You are correct. Um, as we add adjuvants, especially some of the more recent adjuvants, such as the ASO1 supplement derived adjuvants, we do see increased local reactogenicity. The primary concern, though, usually is systemic adverse events rather than local adverse events. And we, we tend to get in the phase two and the phase three studies quite good data on the local reactogenicity. Those of us in this room that are beyond the age of 50 who have had the pleasure of having the recent shingles vaccine will know that this does have quite significant local reactogenicity. If you got the vaccine, you know that you got the vaccine. Um, but this is not the major health concern. The major health concern which we are seeing are accusations of long-term effects. So to come back to this, I'm going to once again point to the regulators. It comes down to um, ensuring that we, we conduct the phase two and the phase three studies with adequate size and with, the ad with appropriate measurement. So in our clinical trials, we're, we are actually using relatively small sample sizes. And when we do that, we're at risk of tyranny of small numbers, which is you just need a single case of Wegener's granulomatosis, and your vaccine has to solve Walt's, how do you prove a null hypothesis? And it takes years and years to try to figure, to figure that out. So it's a real conundrum, right? Getting the right, the right size. What we're learning now, we continue to, to wait for more results from the vaccine trials. I don't know what you're playing there. Uh, could, could you please end the clip? We understand. Better mechanistic Okay, well, that was a lot of the different World Health Organization people just questioning vaccine safety back on um, December 3rd, 2019 at the Global, Global Vaccine Safety Summit. And uh, um, I'll have to give you their names here in just a moment. But um, yeah, that you heard uh, Dr. Sumya Swaminathan five days after the, fir the uh, first clip you heard where she was avowing how safe the World Health Organization is uh, in screening vaccines. And then five days later, she says totally the opposite, along with a lot of what you just heard, uh, medical doctors and scientists and uh, PhDs as well there. Uh, so um, let's see, do we have that clip uh, one ready to play? Things which but if uh, these vaccines, apart from for the preventing symptomatic disease and, and severe disease I'm hearing deaths, two clips. whether they're also going to reduce infections or preventing uh, people from getting infected with the virus, prevent them from uh, passing it on or transmitting it to other people at the moment, uh, I don't believe we have the evidence on any of the vaccines to, uh, to be confident that it's going to prevent people from actually getting the infection and therefore being able to pass it on. So I think till we know more, we, we need to assume that people who have been vaccinated also need to take the same precautions um, till there is a certain level of herd immunity, of course, that's been built in the, in the population. So again, this is a dynamic and evolving field. And I think um, our understanding and our recommendations will change as we, we get more follow-up data from these trials. Well, that's her, uh, again, uh, World Health Organization chief scientist, as uh, we initially tried to play and uh, getting back to, that her admitting that COVID-19 shots do not prevent transmission. And so, uh, you know, you could get a shot and still pass on 
uh, the COVID to somebody else and, um, and not even know it? Or maybe I'm wondering, could you suppress your symptoms and become an asymptomatic carrier? Which, by the way, with a natural COVID infection, if you do a search on the myth of asymptomatic transmission, and of course, Fauci in his emails acknowledges the same thing. It's a myth. There's no such thing as asymptomatic transmission. And uh, um, there's only been, uh, well, actually, you can see May 11th New York Times article on it even reporting, but there are many others reporting that the CDC is, is really cooking the books on uh, claiming that there's asymptomatic transmission and, and uh, citing studies out of Sing- two studies out of construction sites in Singapore, which were the only places that outdoor trans- asymptomatic transmission took place. Of course, most of the studies say that it happens indoors with the symptomatic. But uh, we'll have to go over those studies another time. And there's also a myth of reinfection, but uh, we'll get into that as well. Of course, when you get the COVID shot, there's so many breakthrough cases that we've been report, we've seen reported where breakthrough meaning somebody actually gets COVID after they get the shot. Now, what if I told you there haven't been any COVID-19 vaccine trials underway? By the definition of vaccine, it's true, and all trials underway are admittedly seeking just a mere hope of prophylactic or preemptive treatments that prevent only mild symptoms. The COVID-19 vaccine trials cannot tell us they will save lives, writes uh, Peter Doshi in the British Medical Journal, October 21st, 2020. An excerpt is, none of the trials currently underway are designed to detect a reduction in any serious outcome, such as hospitalizations, intensive care use, or deaths, nor are the vaccines being studied to determine whether they can interrupt transmission of the virus. He, meaning Peter Doshi, associate editor of the British Medical Journal, writes, Now, this is just as John Rappaport covered September 24th, 2020, in his article, COVID vaccine clinical trials doomed to fail, fatal design flaw. New York Times opinion piece exposes all three major clinical trials. And that's the title uh, that you can see at nomorefakenews.com, which uh, links to the New York Times article. Uh, These coronavirus, hmm, pardon me, I think I just put me up on the paywall. Um, oh, here it is. Uh, here's the one without the paywall. Um, as I start to read the title, it disappears on me asking for funds. So this New York Times article, September 22nd, 2020, is entitled, These Coronavirus Trials Don't Answer the One Question We Need to Know. We may not find out whether the vaccines prevent moderate or severe cases of COVID-19 by Peter Doshi and Eric Topol. And another source is uh, reporting this is that the British Medical Journal, uh, Peter Doshi writes, will COVID-19 vaccine saves lo- uh, pardon me, I think I might have, uh, pardon me, let me back up. I meant to read Peter Doshi writes, Pfizer and Moderna's 95% effective vaccines we need more details and the raw data, dated July, January 4th, 2021. There's also at thevaccinereaction.org, no evidence COVID-19 vaccines will block spread of coronavirus by Marco Ciceres. And he goes into a lot of evidence that I had not found. 
Then uh, the next resource is from the New York Times. Two companies say their vaccines are 95% effective. What does that mean? You might assume that 95 out of every 100 people vaccinated will be protected from COVID-19, but that's not how the math works. This article by Carl Zimmer, New York Times, November 20th, 2020. And then from the New England Journal of Medicine, December 31st, 2020, SARS-CoV-2 vaccination announced actually much less, uh, prevention, and that's uh, what we mentioned earlier. And then uh, just to give an excerpt is, no existing vaccines have been shown to be effective against infection with any beta coronavirus, the family that includes SARS-CoV-2, which causes COVID-19. Public Health England's guidance, what to expect after your COVID-19 vaccination updated uh, December 22nd, 2020, Can you give COVID-19 to anyone if you've had the vaccine? The vaccine cannot give you COVID-19 infection and a full course will reduce your chance of becoming seriously ill. We do not yet know whether it will stop you from catching and passing on the virus, but we do expect it to reduce this risk. Now that's on the UK's own website, gov.uk. Next source is the new scientist Everything you need to know about the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccine by Graham Lawton, December 3rd, 2020. An excerpt, does it stop people from catching and transmitting the virus? We still don't know. The trial was designed to test for symptomatic COVID-19 and confirmed infection with the virus. Assessing whether the vaccine prevents transmission, which is probably a prerequisite for attaining vaccine-induced herd immunity, is much harder. But Pfizer says it is carrying out much is carrying out more studies on this important question and will, will release information soon. Early vaccines will prevent symptoms, not virus, by Carolyn Christ, WebMD, October 28th, 2020. Then we have from the Daily Mail, Pfizer CEO admits he is quote unquote not certain. Their COVID-19 shot will prevent vaccinated from people from spreading the virus as the firm cuts the number of doses it will ship this year by Natalie Rahal, December 4th, 2020, Daily Mail. The Daily Express, November 25th, 2020, article entitled Moderna Coronavirus Vaccine May Not Stop Transmission Admits Chief Scientist Moderna's New Coronavirus Vaccine Will Prevent Those Who Take It From Contracting the Disease but might not stop those same individuals from spreading the virus to others. Article by, by Brian McGlennon, Daily Express, November 25th, 2020. Then we have a study from the Autolongeral, I can't pronounce that. If you're a science buff, you know what I mean, uh, meaning um, nose and throat, Autolongeral head neck surgery. 2020, December 15th on 2020, this was published, uh, this study, COVID-19 vaccines may not prevent nasal SARS-CoV-2 infection and asymptomatic transmission. Then we have an article from The Guardian, December 14th, 2020, by Melissa Davey, entitled Australia's Initial Vaccine Rollout Unlikely to Stop COVID Transmission Study Finds. Interim results from vaccine trials are promising, but protection may be temporary, and long-term side effects are unknown, new review says. Now, Dr. Fauci, when he was interviewed by Chris Cuomo, 
He says, quote, we are not sure at this point that the vaccine protects you against getting infected, end quote. I'm not sure. I couldn't find what date that was on, but it's easy to locate. It's just a 40-second time clip, and um, Fauci really isn't worth the time um, to discredit. I think it's a lot more important to discredit the establishment of the CDC, the NIH, the FDA, those in the World Health Organization, uh, all these organizations who did everything differently than the past, where they never studied drug cocktails or sought clinical nutrition to recommended that. Yeah, I know people say, oh, they're, Fauci didn't provide leadership. Well, you shouldn't need leadership if you are self-educated and you're strong enough to, to know how to nourish yourself, to boost your immune system so your statistical chance of, of uh, having any problems is, is very low. A lot of people just get a germ and they don't know it because their, their immune response is so quick. So they develop no symptoms, and that means that <clears throat> they've uh, had natural immunity before they even know it. Now, coming from the Wall Street Journal, December 31st, 2020, COVID-19 vaccine study on preventing transmission is stalled. Researchers seeking to assess whether Moderna's shot can prevent person-to-person -person spread on college campuses say they couldn't get federal funding. Now, Pharma is the most profitable industry. It was funded... Uh, this, uh, these COVID shots were funded by Operation Warp Speed without pharma having to pay for their investment, like maybe profit sharing. You know, it'd be nice if they would uh, allow, allow the government to share in the profits. But of course, that's not the case. So that's fascism, of course, when you have the merger of corporate and gov corporations and government, government-run corporations, or is it multinational corporations with no allegiance to any country running the various governments. Now, um, pharma is by far the far the, the largest lobby in Washington, and uh, yet according to the article, they don't proceed with testing on the prevention of viral transmission because they lacked federal funding. The, the time to experiment on college students they didn't have either before the end of their spring semester and university healthcare workers were lacking to help conduct the experiments. These three lame excuses are given as if one wasn't enough, though they want to be taken seriously. And these psychopaths don't voluntarily accept responsibility. And as such, these pharma companies can't admit their vaccines weren't designed to stop viral transmission, hospitalizations, intensive care visits, or deaths. The article says that only being prevented are quote, symptoms like cough and fever, including in severe cases, end quote, which claims are just pharma PR. They're not independently investigated. Now, preventing a cough and a fever, no matter how severe, doesn't make a vaccine. The article doesn't give any supporting reference to the claim that severe cough and fever might be prevented. According to the CDC statistics for the students' age groups, um, the COVID-19 survival rate is from 99.997% for ages 0 to 19 years old. For ages, zero, for ages 20 to 49, the survival rate is 99.98%. The article portrays pharma's pretense of dismay with a pretext of logistical restraint for experimentation on young people who are nearly invincible to COVID. And lastly, the article reads, quote, Moderna and Pfizer are planning to conduct their own evaluations of 
whether their vaccines prevent asymptomatic COVID cases and viral transmission, end quote. Asymptomatic transmission is very rare. For example, the study Asymptomatic Transmission of COVID-19 by Allison M. Pollock, Professor of Public Health, James Lancaster, Independent Researcher, published in the British Medical Journal 2020, uh, December 21st, 2020. Now, these excerpts should whet your appetite for reading the full text, which shouldn't take more than just three minutes. So just some excerpts. These are quotes. Earlier estimates that 80% of infections are asymptomatic were too high and have since been revised down to between 17% and 20% of people with infections. It also, it's also unclear to what extent people with no symptoms transmit SARS-CoV-2. The only test for live virus is viral culture. PCR and lateral flow tests do not distinguish live virus. No test of infection or infectiousness is currently available for routine use. As things stand, a person who tests positive with any kind of test may or may not have an active infection with a live virus and may or may not be infectious, end quote. Now, just touching on that, the PCR test, the polymerase chain reaction test, is by emergency use authorization of the FDA because it's not reliable. The same with the antibody tests, also known as immunoglobulin tests. It's by emergency use authorization because they are not reliable. PCR tests, you may have heard, uh, because they have amplification cycles involved where they take a piece of genetic material and they amplify to, it's a manufacturing process or a forensic process to reproduce genetic material to see first if it's there and reproduce it. But as you know, when you amplify audio, it just uh, introduces distortion. So with the more repetitions or cycle threshold amplification, uh, amplification cycles, also known as cycle threshold, capital C, lowercase t, if you want to, uh, refer, if you see that, it's an abbrevi abbreviation. The cycle threshold over 27, even Anthony Fauci says is unreliable. And he said that on a podcast last year called Virology This Week, I believe it was in April, uh, or This Week in Virology, Anthony Fauci said that. And uh, we'll get into the, the faulty PCR tests later. But um, just, just so you know that, uh, you know, a lot of these tests, the cycle threshold is not being disclosed. And until more recently, because a lot of activists have brought it up. It's better than nothing, but still the PCR test is not reliable. Um, it may be a good start. Uh, it may be a good start to as a preliminary test to more comp, uh, comprehensive tests, uh, you know, like scanning electron microscopes and viral sequencing. Um, we can get into that another time, and we'll have the scientists to do so. The relations between viral load, this study continues, the relations between viral load, viral shedding, infection, infectiousness, and duration of infectiousness are not well understood. In a recent systemic, systematic review, no study was able to culture live virus from symptomatic participants after the ninth day of illness, despite persistently high viral loads in quantitative PCR diagnostic tests. However, cycle thresholds, or CT values, from PCR tests are not direct measures of viral load and are subject to error. Next quote, the transmission rates to, to contacts within a specific group, secondary attack rate, may be three to 25 times lower for people who are asymptomatic than for those with symptoms. A citywide prevalence study of almost 10 million people in Wuhan 
found no evidence of asymptomatic transmission. Another quote, searching for people who are asymptomatic yet infectious is like searching for needles that appear to appear and reappear transiently in haystacks, particularly when rates are falling. Mass testing risks the harmful diversion of scarce resources. That's mass testing risks the harm, harmful diversion of scarce resources. A further concern is the use of inadequately evaluated tests as screening tools in, in healthy populations. End quote. So you're, you know, you're testing somebody who's asymptomatic and you might have a false positive. Well, what would be the reason to test somebody if they don't have any symptoms? It's to induce fear once they get a false positive. And that's, that's something that uh, it's, it's fascinating. That's the CDC and FDA. Once the vaccines were rolled out, they introduced new recommendations to lower the cycle threshold to make the testing more accurate to allow the reporting of fewer cases in order to say, hey, the vaccine is resulting in fewer cases. Look here, look what we did with the vaccine. Now, continuing, the last quote, the absence of strong evidence that asymptomatic people are a driver of transmission is another good reason for pausing the rollout of mass testing in schools, universities, and communities, end quote. And uh, Fauci, if uh, you, you've seen him on, you might have seen the clips where he says, asymptomatic transmission doesn't drive epidemics. World Health Organization says that uh, in uh, the Washington Examiner article, Madison Dibble um, reports uh, in this article entitled, quote, very rare World Health Organization says coronavirus seldom spreads through asymptomatic carriers, end quote. Then uh, we have... From the Alachua Chronicle, University of Florida researchers, researchers find no asymptomatic or pre-symptomatic spread. This article by Len Cabrera, December 22nd, 2020. And that article references the, the study uh, entitled Household Transmission of SARS-CoV-2, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis in the Journal of American Medical Association Network, OPEN published December 14th, 2020. Now, because the aforesaid purported COVID-19 vaccines don't fit the definition of vaccines, manufacturers shouldn't be allowed liability protection. And that's where I'm going with this. The National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act of 1986 confers liability protection to pharma companies, again, for FDA-approved vaccines, for the emergency use authorization vaccines, they get liability under the PREP Act of 2005, the Public Readiness and Emergency Preparedness Act of 2005. Now, um, we played a little bit earlier already, so I'm just going to uh, add the context to the clip of um, World Health Organization uh, Chief Scientist Sumya, pardon me, Sumya Swaminathan, I believe that's correct. And uh, that was the first clip where she says uh, in a promotional video entitled World Health Organization Works to Ensure Vaccinations Are Safe with Sumya Swaminathan, chief scientist at the World Health Organization, released November 28, 2019, where she ensured the robust existence of effective vaccine safety systems 
in the overall safety of vaccines. And then uh, as the clip we played was uh, five days later where her diametrically different opinion behind closed doors at the World Health Organization Global Vaccine Safety Summit, December 3rd, 2019 in Geneva, Switzerland. So uh, I think that uh, the World Health Organization might be experiencing a little bit of um, vaccine hesitancy. And um, let's get back to um, let's get just back to giving credit to those various speakers who you heard at that vaccine safety summit. The other ones, uh, in the order in which you heard them, were uh, Professor Heidi Larson, PhD, Professor of Anthropology, Risk and Decision Scientist, Director of Vaccine Confidence Project, expressing her doubts about vaccine safety behind closed doors. Dr. Martin Howell, Freed Coordinator, Initiative for Vaccine Research, World Health Organization. Dr. Stephen Evans, Professor of Pharmacoepidemiology. Dr. David Caslow, MD, Vice President, Essential Medicines Drug Development Program, PATH, Center for Vaccine Innovation and Access. Dr. Basie Akposin, Program Manager, National Emergency Routine Immunization Coordination Center, Abuja, Nigeria. Dr. Rob Tur Chen, MD, Scientific Director, Brighton Collaboration. Dr. Marion Gruber, Director, Office of Vaccines Research and Review Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research at the FDA. So let's also cover the World Health Organization when they change. Remember that time when they faked a pandemic by changing the definition of the term? Well, even Forbes covered that. Let me just try to get that article pulled up here. And uh, trying to get uh, this. Hmm, let's see this perhaps. Um, well, if you want to read the article, it's, um, it's entitled Why the Who Faked a Pandemic by Michael Fumento in February 5th, 2020. And also at the Swiss Policy Research, swprs.org, is why COVID-19 is a strange pandemic. That's, uh, that means that this fake pandemic was only because the WHO had removed the requirement of the, quote, enormous numbers of death and illness, end quote, one month before from the definition of the word pandemic. Words mean things, and the World Health Organization certainly seems to make up their own definitions. Uh, pandemic warning uh, then triggered a multi-billion dollar sale of rather useless and particularly dangerous vaccines. Uh, according to the International Business Times, that was during the 2009 swine flu epidemic. And of course, there's a 1976 swine flu epidemic where less than 25 people died and they pulled the vaccine. And of course, now we have in just the last six months, according to the government's own statistics, 5,165 deaths from all the COVID shots. That is more. And so are all the adverse events, the injuries, the injuries and the deaths from all the COVID shots in the last six months, according to the government's own statistics, the VAERS vaccine adverse event reporting system far exceeds all the deaths and injuries of all vaccines in the previous history of theirs, 30 years. 
And that's just the last six months of the COVID shot. So we have a genocide going on. World Health Organization is implicated. They changed the definition of herd immunity just a few months ago to mean only vaccine-induced immunity, which is always, as I say, inferior to natural immunity in the terms of numbers and types of immune cells and how long those immune cells last. 2003, MERS, uh, people who are infected with MERS, were tested in 2020. They still have antibodies. From the 1918 Spanish flu, those patients were tested in 2000, and they still have antibodies 82 years later, and probably more. Now, this World Health Organization uh, chief scientist, Dr. Swaminathan, she's even recommending more vaccines to India, and we will get in in the next hour to this article, COVID-19 vaccines lead to new infections and mortality. The evidence is overwhelming. Country cases, country case studies, mortality and morbidity by Gerard Delapine out of the Mondelistation, that's French for global research, of uh, Canadian rendition or post or translation is at globalresearch.ca. Well, we'll go over how the various countries have spikes in COVID cases right after the COVID shots are introduced. And um, I'm going to hold off on getting into that article. Let's see here. Um, oh, well, excuse the music there. We'll also get into some economics of Florida here in the next hour on the Liberation Station radio show. Talk about how people are going back to work. This is Chris Steiner on the Liberation Station radio show. Stay tuned. WTAN, Clearwater. FM 106.1. WDCF, Dade City. FM 102.3. WZHR, Zephyr Hills. FM 104.3. Listen. Joe Biden has his first in-person sit-down as president with Vladimir Putin in Geneva tomorrow. CBS's Stephen Portnoy is there. The president's agenda for this summit is long. Aides say he intends to raise a range of issues related to Russia's bad actions under Putin. Well, he's a master of malign activities. But Rose Gottemuller, a lecturer at Stanford University and a former top NATO official, says there's also an opportunity here for the two men to see eye to eye. We have mutual positive interests that we need to work on, uh, such as uh, making sure that Afghanistan does not collapse and making sure that uh, nuclear weapons continue to be in a process of limitation and and control. Stephen Portnoy, CBS News, Geneva. California and New York State are back in business. Most remaining COVID restrictions are now lifted. It comes as the U.S. passes 600,000 COVID deaths. CBS's Carter Evans in Los Angeles. Tonight, a grand reopening for the first state COVID closed. California, mass mandates and social... Welcome back to the June 15th, 2021 edition of Liberation Station Radio Show with Chris Steiner. The website is theliberationstation.com. That's theliberationstation.com. 
where you can find all this research and much more. Great resources like the links page and the blogs page. A lot of blogs there where you can add your input. You can reach us here in Clearwater, Florida, 727-441-3000 or toll free 866-826-1340. That's 727-441-3000 and 866-826-1340. Getting back to this article, I'm just going to summarize because it's kind of long, but it's only the World Health Organization's statistics and showing the graphs from those statistics of how cases spiked. And um, I'll give me I'll give you the uh, the article one more time. I put it at the end of the last hour, but title is COVID-19 vaccines led to new infections and mortality. The evidence is overwhelming. Country Case Studies, Mortality and Morbidity by Gerard Delapine in Global Research, May 27th, 2021. And so we look at Nepal. Cases were declining. They shoot right up after the vaccine program began. Nepal, a country of 28 million. Uh, Thailand, a country of 70 million. Same thing happened. Uh, Cambodia, a country of 27 million. And Mongolia, a country of 3.3 million. Looking at all these graphs, the same story, the the cases go straight up. South America and Colombia, a country of 50 million. The um, number of daily infections has quadrupled and daily mortality has multiplied by three. Chile, a country of 18 million inhabitants. The vaccination began on December 24th and a total of nearly 17.1 million doses of the vaccine have been administered to less than 20 million people. But despite the highest vaccination coverage rate in South America and harsh confinements, the number of daily infections and the number of deaths remain close to triple what they were before the start of the vaccination campaign. In Brazil, a country of 217 million inhabitants began... uh, January 18th, and um, weekly mortality stabilized around 7,000. But uh, before that, it looks like it was right around 2,000. So all these statistics are very similar, cannot be dismissed. Middle East, uh, UAE, country of 10.5 million, same thing. Kuwait, country of 4.2 million, same thing. We are the experiment. Just so you know, the world's the experiment. Um, you know, people say, well, I've done the research. No, you haven't done the research because you are the research. You're the experiment, and these experiments are not set to end until 2023. Of course, uh, vaccine manufacturers, big pharma, are pushing to speed it up even faster, even as they're trying to give the kids... And pregnant women, lactating women, people who have recovered, and they don't even test them when they want to vaccinate them all. People who have recovered uh, could be seriously injured, and uh, we'll get into that again in the future. But um, let's see, in Europe, Hungary, a country of 9.8 million inhabitants, the vaccination campaign, which began at the end of February, was followed by a sharp increase in weekly contaminations, which rose from... 25,576 on February 25th to 62,265 a month later before gradually falling back to the pre-vaccination level. In two and a half months, Hungary has doubled its figures of infected 400,000 to 800,000 and deaths from 14,000 to 29,000. 
reached after 11 months of the epidemic. In Romania, same thing, Monaco, Gibraltar, and um, I think I'm going to finish up this article. I have so many other things to get into. So you get the picture, and there's a lot of... Uh, a lot of work ahead of us, a lot of exposure of this genocide. It's not just one person talking about it. I want you to know that we are in the majority, the scientists, the doctors, those who are exposing this, if you check out on the links page on my website, you'll see massive hundreds and thousands of uh, people, of doctors and scientists, credentialed and degreed authorities, members of organizations across the world who are trying to blow the whistle on all this and much more. And you can find that list on the links page in the category for credentialed and degreed authorities or uh, COVID experts. Now in the debate that uh, I remember attorney Alan Dershowitz had with Del Bigtree, Del was very persuasive, very calm. Alan Dershowitz claimed that uh, the Supreme Court decision 1905 Jacobson versus Massachusetts allowed mandatory vaccination. I can't believe how much work I have ahead of me here, how many uh, news articles to try to finish out the show, try to make good time here. Now, um, Jacobson versus Massachusetts didn't allow for mandatory vaccination as Jacobson wasn't vaccinated as a result. The case only allowed for a $5 fine in lieu of vaccination, meaning his right to bodily autonomy was intact. He got liberty for a fee. And a great article is at National Vaccine Information Center entitled Forced Vaccination, The Tragic Legacy. Goes into the alleged uh, right to forcibly vaccinate, government to forcibly vaccinate people that stems from Jacobson versus Massachusetts in 1905, which is so wrongly interpreted so often. Now, I don't agree with the principle of stare decisis, which started with the U.S. Supreme Court's self-appointed authority in Marbury versus Madison in 1803. Each set of circumstances is unique, and a jury should have the opportunity to deliberate which I'll go into in a moment, but for those who disagree and who misinterpret Jacobson versus Massachusetts or even expand its meaning to other areas like mandated mask wearing, they should be informed of other Supreme Court cases like Miller v. U.S. in 1939. Quote, there can be no sanction or penalty imposed upon one because of this exercise of constitutional rights, end quote. Miranda versus Arizona, 1966, quote, the claim and exercise of a constitutional right cannot be converted into a crime, end quote. And there are many other Supreme Court cases. If you do a search on the web of rights cannot be converted into a crime, the exercise and reservation of a right cannot be turned into a crime. Of course, with the definition of license in legal dictionaries means permission from a competent authority to do that, which would otherwise be illegal, means that if you're getting that license, you're getting that permission, you're claiming that you are not competent, but the one giving you the license is. Now into jury rights. I find it fascinating that uh, 76 American, 76% of Americans back in April of 2020 support or strongly support locking down for another two weeks. Okay, so that was near the start of the pandemic and 
76 of Americans supported the continued lockdowns, 15 or 14% did not. Of course, those statistics have changed, but even back then, there were enough jurors to hang a jury. Now, because it takes just one juror to hang a jury, we don't we have more than enough representation for prospective juries to nullify such bad pseudo laws, the unconstitutional emergency orders, which are just disguised as law <laughs> to have the color of law. Everyone who's charged with violating an emergency order should demand a trial by jury. And meanwhile, um, you know, uh, we have businesses who open up and, uh, you know, they don't need to ask permission if you're starting a new job or a career and, and you want to hang a shingle and you don't need to ask permission where none is required as, as a, as a um, uh, what do you call it, as a loan, as a sole proprietor. So there's no need to protest um, when it comes to uh, being charged with, uh, say, doing business as yourself. You're not working for yourself. You're working as yourself. There are legal connotations in the law with that, which, which is a whole other story. But um, we need to inform the public on the various frauds, like I'm getting into, of COVID-19, coupled with jury nullification of bad law. You can learn more at the Fully Informed Jury Association, FIJA.org. And we can learn how we can nullify bad law. Now, this story I mentioned on my show July 31st, 2018, titled Torpy at Large, Man Grows Pot, Admits It, Jury Sends Him Home, end quote. And uh, you can see that on the website. Now, judges and prosecuting attorneys commit jury tampering by misdirecting juries of their rights to vote their consciences in claiming they must apply what facts they believe to be true to the laws being charged. Now, obviously, this defendant, um, represented by attorney Catherine Bernard, very courageous, brought out this point to the jury. You, you have the right to Vote your conscience whether you think that the law is being properly applied. And other reasons a jury can decide to acquit. And contrary to the misdirection of the judges and the prosecuting attorneys, there are many legal precedents and quotes from the Founding Fathers at the Fully Informed Jury Association website, Fiji.org. And uh, you can also find the Fully Informed Jury Association Florida on Facebook. Jurors can vote their consciences, meaning they can acquit for any reason they like. Examples include if the accused has already made restitution, the law is misapplied, the law is silly, unconstitutional, or if the jury feels it's just to rule against even constitutional laws being misapplied. As a juror, you can acquit, even though you'll want to do it secretly because fellow jurors might just inform uh, the judge that you're voting your conscience and that risks being dismissed and possibly held in contempt as a juror. Because it takes just one juror to hang a jury, there's no need to go for a big victory in trying to convince other jurors to vote their consciences. Vote your conscience and you can just tell fellow jurors that you felt witnesses who often contradict themselves 
especially as in the case of law enforcement, or other evidence was unconvincing. With education of this most potent weapon, we the people can prevent the prosecution of the innocent, slow down and stop the conveyor belt, cash register, prison industrial, just us system. Now, DeSantis, by his executive order, Governor DeSantis in Florida here has suspended fines and penalties for people not wearing masks, but not businesses who don't enforce mandatory mask ordinances. That was last year in 2020, Executive Order 20-244. And DeSantis recently pardoned those who were wrongly persecuted for uh, not wearing a mask. So hopefully they have a better chance at success in their lawsuits against the municipalities with their big pockets who openly ignored DeSantis's suspension of all the states of emergency throughout the state. Florida Statute 218.077, paragraph F, defines political subdivision to include boards. School boards are openly ignoring Governor DeSantis's decision by enforcing mass mandates. Of course, in Pinellas, uh, that just ended when the school year is over, so at their last Pinellas County School Board meeting, they um, they ended it, but uh, of course they're so arbitrary this could be brought back, and uh, for some reason DeSantis is asleep at the switch. You know, uh, despite their, th- their videos I've seen, at least three, I've seen three videos of uh, DeSantis ignoring people who walk up to him and ask him to unmask our kids, DeSantis walks away or gets in his car. And, and uh, these people are just asking him to unmask their kids because the school boards across Florida are ignoring his order. Another good thing um, that, that uh, DeSantis did was issue an executive order that in the PCR tests, amplification cycles, which I talked about earlier, amplification cycles need to be disclosed on the test results. So practitioners and patients alike might better gauge their accuracy. And again, the CDC and the FDA advised uh, on their own websites a higher CT value causing false positives after the CV, the COVID-19 jabs were allowed and brought onto the market, allowed by the FDA. Then the CDC and FDA recommended a lower CT value to make it seem as if case counts were going down. Despite the high number of breakthrough cases, you know, the deaths and injuries from VAERS, I hate to, I, I'm just... Uh, I hate to give that nervous laughter. I have a little gallus humor sometimes. It's just that these COVID shots are so scary that people think that they are going to be protected by them. And uh, we'll, we'll just have to keep covering this because the, the, the news is so prolific. But um, the ability to cover the news is being thwarted by the likes of Facebook. I'm looking at their... COVID-19 and vaccine policy updates and protections says, quote, we're working to remove COVID-19 content that contributes to the risk of real-world harm, including through our policies prohibiting coordination of harm sale of medical masks and related goods, hate speech, bullying, and harassment, and misinformation that contributes to the risk of imminent violence or physical harm. Some of these policies require additional information and or context to enforce, the details of which we've outlined below. And it continues, but I'm pointing out that 
Facebook saying they're trying to prohibit coordination of harm and then sale of medical masks and related goods. So why would they do that when medical masks are actually shown to prevent a little bit of the transmission of viruses? But of course, the cloth masks don't. And Anthony Fauci's in his emails that were released by Freedom of Information Act this past week, and they continue to be released, uh, thanks to BuzzFeed and the Washington Post and Informed Consent Action Network, which has even more emails that uh, are being disclosed. But they're, they're all good, but uh, I think the ones from the Informed Consent Action Network at icandecide.org have um, a lot more material, therefore a lot more dirt on Fauci. Uh, things like, you know, he said asymptomatic transmission wasn't important and the, the masks uh, don't work. Um, you know, he's saying medical, uh, med- medical, these pieces of cloth don't work. But we all know that there are studies that medical masks have some benefit. So why is, a, is Facebook uh, combating the sale of medical masks? That's a, that's a funny point. Well, why is Facebook doing a lot of things? It's interesting. Tom Massey, Representative Tom Massey, past April 2021, wrote, uh, Who pays the paychecks of the fact checkers? Adding, The vaccine fact checkers at factcheck.org who claim to be independent are funded by an organization that holds over $1.5 billion of stock in a vaccine company and is run by a former director of CDC. According to their own source, factcheck.org is funded in part by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. According to the foundation's 2019 financial statement, the project holds over $1.8 billion of stock in the COVID-19 manufacturer, Johnson & Johnson. On these digital ghettos like Facebook, these self-censoring and peer-pressured slaves whose every word is calculated, worried about being banned, of course, the woker than thou will stick to these kinds of platforms, maybe. The prostitutes, the correspondents certainly will. They feel honored to serve as if they're in alliance with ruthlessly moderating, along with the ghetto bosses, the artificial intelligence ghetto bosses. And they envy and condemn us who would move to safer neighborhoods, safer social networks, where our hard work crafting our expression is banned and ruthlessly demolished, usually without warning or explanation. So, you know, when you stick on a social network that's so ruthlessly moderated, then you start to totally calculate how you express yourself. And I noticed that for myself. The self-censorship infects all areas of your life, and it's based in peer pressure. You're worried about what others are going to think, what the AI digital boss, ghetto boss is going to do. So, um, you know, after I've used other social networks, I feel really liberated. I feel like I'm among those who can speak freely without fear of reprisal. And if you want to see some of those social networks, they're linked to on the links page under the social networks category. And a few of them to which I belong are also on the home page in the right column. If you want to get connected there. Now here's a good success story going back to October 27th, 2020. 
and it's in regards to, um, I'll just read from State Representative Anthony Sabatini and his uh, speaking for a Sabatini law firm. Breaking big ruling in a case of statewide importance this week, my case of City of Gainesville v. Hughley represented a defendant who was accused of violating the Gainesville mask mandate order. Despite the governor's executive order, 20-244, which suspended the, quote, collection of fines or penalties associated with COVID-19, end quote, the city of Gainesville still sought to win a judgment against our defendant in order to collect the fine after the state of emergency had ended in the future. They argued only the, quote, collection, end quote, had been suspended. The judge in our case refused to issue the fine at all and ruled against the city in the matter while still technically finding the defendant violated the mask mandate, but without legal consequence. And quoting from the order, the defendant, Macy Hughley, is hereby found to be guilty of the charged infraction. Pursuant to Governor DeSantis Executive Order 20-244, no penalty may be assessed against the defendant for violation of the mask requirement contained in Third Amendment to Emergency Order Number 2020-30. Accordingly, no fines or costs shall be imposed in this case. And that was ordered October 23, 2020 by Judge Susan Miller-Jones in Alachua County. The takeaway, Representative Anthony Sabatini writes, Some cities and counties are trying to issue citations and then collect fines later on, but this case demonstrates that no fine should even be issued at all. Both the collection of fines are suspended and also any penalties. Two different things. Here in Pinellas County, speaking for myself now, Sheriff Gualtieri told his deputies that to prevent the spread of COVID, to arrest fewer and issue more citations instead have the same legal effect to notice to appear in court as if they were arrested, so why arrest them? Arrests went down from about 130 per day to 30, showing that a lot of the arrests aren't about keeping the public safe. It's about needlessly continually raising the budget for law enforcement. Another victory, June 11th, just five days ago, Attorney Louis Leo IV of the Florida Civil Rights Coalition, floridacivilrightscoalition.org, writes in regards to this new victory uh, that um, Justin Green v. Alachua County and Governor Ron DeSantis in, in his official capacity, uh, representative by Sabatini Law Firm. Uh, Attorney Louis Leo IV writes, Breaking Florida, breaking, Florida's first district court of appeal reversed the erroneous trial court ruling upholding Alachua County's unconstitutional mask mandate and certified conflict with the 4th DCA's District Court of Appeals, erroneous ruling in our case against Palm Beach County's mask mandate. Great job, Jeff Childers. And here's an important excerpt from the opinion, which is precisely what we argued in the amicus brief we filed in this case. That's a the amicus brief, or friend of the court brief that was filed by attorney Louis Leo IV. He writes, quote, based on what the Supreme Court has told us about the scope of the art- of Article 1, Section 23, Justin Green, the plaintiff, and anyone else in Alachua County reasonably could expect autonomy over his body, including his face, which means that he was correct to claim an entitlement to be left, let alone, and free from intrusion by Alachua County's commission chairman. The mask mandate then implicated 
the right of privacy. According to Gainesville Women Care, the mask mandate was presumptively unconstitutional as a result. End quote. So that's the win based on the right to privacy. Yeah, you have right to bodily autonomy, but apparently more fundamental than that, the court thought was the right to privacy. In that case, um, the court number is 1D, the case number 1D as in door, 20-1661 and uh, 2020 ca 001249 it's just a 34-page decision. So it's quick reading. And, uh, and they also cite, um, in this case, other precedents uh, from 1983. Florida Bar Board of Bar Exams Examiners regarding applicant. And that uh, says, quote, even in a pandemic, the Constitution cannot be put away and forgotten, end quote. That's from 1983, Florida Supreme Court. And also uh, important court case is Roman Catholic Diocese of Brooklyn v. Cuomo. That's Governor Cuomo in New York, just filed in 2020 that they cited. Attorney Lou, Louis Leo IV writes, quote, the appellate court ruled Alachua County's mask mandate was, quote unquote, presumptively unconstitutional trial court should have issued injunction. The court also certified conflict with the erroneous ruling upholding Palm Beach County's unconstitutional mask mandate, which gives us another basis for Florida Supreme Court jurisdiction over the controversy. Great news for medical freedom. And uh, that's that quote. Now I'll add, if a municipality ignores the state Supreme Court don't the feds get involved? Doesn't the FBI get involved? Oh, well, I suppose maybe the governor would have to ask for that to happen. Um, or might be sped along that way. I'm not sure of the process. There's so many, um, so many Swiss, there's so many holes, in our, so many holes in our uh, legal system and our laws. It's like Swiss cheese. And uh, you just got to find the most laws and cases and precedents code, statutes, uh, policies even, and even deliberations when laws are being passed. Um, the prevailing parties' deliberations are considered if it ever goes into court. So you want to see how the, the, uh, the law was passed and what the true intention of the legislators were, then they can consult the deliberations. Now, let's see. I'm going to try to speed things up here a little bit so I can get to as many stories as I can. Um, it's kind of uh, shocking. It's September 1st, last year, 2020, Alachua Chronicle reports registration to be required for all indoor gatherings of 10 or more. That's where the uh, Alachua, um, Alachua County Commission was discussing registering people you know, for gatherings of 10 or more, never mind the right to peaceably assemble. And uh, I'll have to speed up this, um, the news here. I know I have a lot of great news to get into today. All right, so um, just to show how we've been conditioned, since 1933, the United States has been in a continuous 
state of national emergency, really various states of national emergency, which disregard the U.S. Constitution. These uh, so-called emergencies are renewed under various pretexts by various presidents since 1933, shows a continuity of agenda to disregard our Constitution. And if you'd like proof, check out Senate Report 93-549 from 1973. So at that time, the national state of emergency had been for only 40 years. They were writing in Senate Report 93-549 on how to end it. But I want the audience to acknowledge how many of your rights have been sacrificed? How many have you been conditioned to ignore, despite they're in their constitution right there in black and white? Just how many? Well, they do these executive orders. These uh, presidents have renewed the states of emergency with these executive orders under states of emergency for various pretexts like uh, oh, Clinton did it for proliferation of weapons of mass destruction worldwide. So then the United States has to go into a state of national emergency. Next, we'll cover Dr. Mercola. No, let's, let's get into this one. This is um, this, the other article I'll, I'll just mention in case I don't get the time to talk about it. Dr. Mercola defamed by digital anti-hate group. January 8th, 2021. Um, that's at Mercola.com. And he talks about how the government is targeting him as a hate group. And uh, those who inform the government of hate group, supposedly inform the government of hate, you know, private organizations that point the finger and the government just takes their word for it. Well, now, um, another article from Dr. Mercola. If you've had COVID, please don't get vaccinated by Dr. Joseph Mercola. And May 24th, 2021. And the story at a glance says that I'm having a little difficulty here. Huh. Give me just a moment. Um, I'm a, a little bit unsure. This is sorry for this return to the show here. Um, but, uh, I'm sure I can find, I'm pretty sure I can find this article in just a moment. There we go. Okay. And, um, huh, I'm not sure actually. <laughs> All right. I'll have to, um, we'll have to get into that in the future, but, uh, Dr. McCullough is showing how, how, all the um, people who are having the adverse events who have already recovered from COVID have more severe reactions once they get the shot. So it's all risk and no benefit. You know, already have lifelong or most likely long, lifelong immunity, and it's obviously much longer than um, what they're saying now. They want to get uh, booster shots in people's arms. And how, um, as a former vice president at Pfizer says, Michael Eden, Dr. Eden, he asks, well, with a vaccine passport and with the story going that, oh, you need to get a second, a third, a fourth shot. 
just, you know, I get a booster. Well, then if you're going to have a vaccine passport, they might tie that in with boosters. <clears throat> It'll be dependent on the pharmaceutical industry for life. Unless, of course, you retain your nat natural immunity. Well, uh, let's get into a little bit of economics here. El Salvador made Bitcoin legal tender this week. Now their old currency, the Bolivar, blows from trash bins at littering the streets. Although Bitcoin sure has been a good investment over the last few years, I don't really think cryptocurrencies are a sustainable currency um, or whatever you'd like to call them, perhaps credit, because they're in limited supply and human productivity is virtually unlimited. It's limited only by time and innovations. So as technology improves, so should our standard of living. But it's not due to the massive rigging of our economy, like fraud closures that are continuing and the bankster gangsters uh, routinely getting bailouts. The cryptocurrencies form a cyber elite or a cyber dependency. You know, you need the computers to access <clears throat> your Bitcoin wallet or your crypto wallet, and you need massive computing power to mine them. And uh, the limit on Bitcoin is 22 million. So as that limit approaches, Bitcoins are harder to, increasingly harder to mine. And uh, because productivity is dependent on an expanding supply of currency, or credit if it's based on credit, whatever definitions can be a little bit gray there when it comes to crypto or you know, booking entries on a computer. <clears throat> but you have to have a money supply that keeps pace with productivity. Otherwise, people will be poor and uh, have plenty of uh, resources, maybe plenty of time. Every person has the same amount of time, but not everybody has the same amount of money. So we need to get into equitable commerce media like community currencies, time banks, barter networks, cooperatives, swap shops, and community gardens where you can go buy, sell, trade seeds, cuttings, and plants and uh, learn a lot. Maybe trade skills, uh, learn, pay to be tutored or uh, pay to tutor somebody on all the amazing um, tips that you might have learned when when you um, started gardening, you never knew, and then you find uh, one little tip that changes the whole, the whole game. And one of those tips, one of those uh, amazing innovations is water ionization. So um, uh, if you take uh, just a little bit of alkaline ionized water, or put it in a spray bottle, spray your plants, you'll notice that your plants just start to bloom and bolt and give bumper crops and the annuals and biennials become perennials. And uh, they have a lot fewer bug bites because their immune system, their natural immune system is supported rather than when it's not supported. The plants are dependent on herbicides, fungicides, and pesticides to protect them. But uh, if you just support the plant's natural immune system with things like ionized water or good nutrition, and uh, you'll notice that the, the plants do so much better um, because it's the mineral ions. It's not the minerals themselves. It's, the, it's an electrostatic kind of a charge that the plants, uh, it's an antioxidant charge. You can measure it with an oxidative reduction potential meter, ORP meter, and see the antioxidant quality of 
freshly ionized alkaline water. Now these water ionizers also split water into, into an acid stream. So you have an alkaline and an acid. And for killing coronaviruses, we found, we have studies on that as well, or a study I found, and uh, you can uh, kill fungus if you want to kill um, mold infection on a plant or a person. It doesn't hurt plant tissue or animal tissue. Um, it's the hypochlorous acid that's in the acidic ionized water. It smells like bleach. You know, when I, when I make the water at home with the ionized uh, water ionizer, pardon me, I'm trying to look us look up a study that just uh, occurred to me. Excuse me for the um, diligence here. I won't be satisfied until I try to find this. Yes. This is a hypochlorous acid, a review by Michael S. Block, DMD, Brian G. Rowan, DMD, a medical doctor, in the, published in the Journal of Oral Maxillofacial Surgery on June 25th, 2020. So that's a year old. That's a little older than I thought. So if you want to check out that article, it says that the hypochlorous acid kills coronaviruses. And it's a, it's a green option, meaning it, it's non-toxic, doesn't leave any harmful residue, and it doesn't hurt anything but germs and fungus. Of course, germ, fungus are germs. Viruses, harmful bacteria, uh, harmful viruses, and mold and spores, uh, hypochlorous acid is... Um, uh, among the simple, effective things we can use to kill the bad guys and, uh, you know, not, not hurt ourselves with chemicals that lower our own immunity. Another good option is ozone because all the coronaviruses are anaerobic, meaning they cannot survive in the presence of oxygen. And ozone is O3. Being super oxygen, super oxidative, it's excellent at neutralizing viruses and harmful bacteria, fungus, mold, parasites, spores. And uh, there are way, there's ozone autohemotherapy where blood is taken out, ozonated, reinfused, and people clear themselves of infections. Um, we'll have to have a show on that in the future. Oxygenhealingtherapies.com is a great site for that oxygenhealingtherapies.com. But getting back to currency and credit and, uh, and how our economy works, both inflation and deflation cause prices to rise. Inflation is where a lot more currency and credit is being pumped into the system. And deflation is where there isn't enough to follow the goods and services to pay for, the, for enough people to have for um, people to pay for the goods and services they need. There isn't enough in circulation, so that's deflationary. Now, signs of inflation are scarcity of goods, meaning the average person has abundant currency and credit, and they have bills of increasingly higher denominations, just like El Salvador. In both inflation and hyperinflation, most folks are flush with cash and credit, so they're going to go out buy as much as, much as possible before the prices rise again, resulting in empty store shelves. 
Now, during deflation, as we are currently experiencing, apparently, of course, there's no way to tell because the Federal Reserve cannot be audited, privately held organization. Now, during deflation, as I think we're currently experiencing, folks can't afford basic necessities due to lack of currency and credit, so you have full store shelves. As we see in this present state of engineered scarcity of currency and credit, both have become more prized, which causes prices to rise. So you can see that with deflation, because people prize the currency and credit more, they're going to keep their prices up. They're not going to lower the prices out of the goodness of their own heart. If the genocidal Federal Reserve is inflating the circulation of currency and credit as they claim, while the Federal Reserve member banks are withholding lending on, as they are, the, the effect on, in the public is deflationary. So um, when the Federal Reserve claims to inflate the economy, they're inspiring market confidence. They're encouraging spending on non-essential luxury items. Now, the Fed may very well be inflating the economy, but only by pumping up the markets to inspire market confidence. During the 1990s, it appears we had inflation, but during the current deflationary period, or apparent deflationary period, the Federal Reserve is gobbling up collateralized real property. They're buying treasuries in this last month at an unprecedented pace in real property as has uh, they're buying up as, as happened during all the past privately owned national bank induced deflationary periods. So we need to repeal for one, Federal Law, Title 12, Section 411, that defines Federal Reserve notes as obligations of the United States. How can a government be indebted to itself? Well, it's not. It's because the Federal Reserve is separate, meaning Federal Reserve notes are obligations of the, Fe of the United States payable to the Federal Reserve and lawful money, although um, that's another story. The definition of lawful money has been um, actually deleted in Title 12, Section um, I can't remember. It's on my uh, Lawful Money blog on my website at theliberationstation.com where Lawful Money, up until around 2009, was defined to, inc to include the definitions of gold and silver coin of the United States. That's a quote. The terms Lawful Money and Lawful Money of the United States shall be construed to mean gold and silver coin of the United States. I'm having a hard time remembering that's uh, Title 12, and I can't remember the section, but if you just quote that, you can find it. And, um, you know, so many people, the economic crash has already happened. It's cost their lives and, and, health, and their health. So we don't want to wait for politicians to reform economics when we can do it ourselves. We can promote and participate in equitable commerce media like usury-free community currencies, time banks, barter networks, cooperatives, swap shops, and community gardens. And we'll get into the uh, three barter networks I know of in the future, the three local ones here in the Tampa Bay area. And also there are two time banks, the Tampa Bay Time Bank and the St. Pete Time Bank I know about. Uh, I'm just starting up, though, the community currency at clearwaterhours.org, or pardon me, .com, clearwaterhours, spelled H-O-U-R-S, dot com. 
It's spelled that way because the community currency is time-denominated, like most of them are, so that means that they can be exchanged with other communities with time-denominated community currencies. As long as you just uh, negotiate before the transaction, hey, I would like to pay you, say, a uh, hour of Clearwater hours in exchange for service in Ithaca, New York, which uh, was the pioneer in 1991 of community currency in the modern times. Of course, during the Great Depression, there were over 3,000 community currencies. So uh, it's going to have to make a, a greater comeback because... I think the community currencies are the best equitable commerce media because they are tangible, whereas the other ones, you're dependent on technology. They all have their advantages, though, so I promote them all. Um, it's just uh, community currencies are the hardest to coordinate because, for example, you'll have the currency pile up at one business and it doesn't um, get spent because there aren't enough people in the network or participants who will accept the community currency. So then we need to find the business or businesses at which the business needing to spend their currency can go and spend it, uh, hopefully on a regular basis. And those kinds of businesses where community currency piles up are food and fuel businesses. Usually we can't, uh, community currencies can't sign up a uh, gas station, but they can sign up a restaurant or occasionally even a produce stand, but certainly a uh, supermarket um, has been a difficulty. So there's a great need for food producers who are local to provide uh, fresh, freshly picked, um, nutrient-rich, hopefully organic produce. And um, now let's see, let's see how we can get on to other issues. I have so many, uh, so many issues on my mind here. If you give me just a moment. Well, I, I just, uh, I guess I'll figure this up. I'll, fi I'll sum this up here to say that I understand that uh, a lot of people need the unemployment that we've gotten in the, in the last um, few months that ended on May 29th. Um, the federal unemployment that DeSantis discontinued, which was $300 per week. Now, state unemployment continues, $125 through $275 per week. And I, I know that there are those old and frail who can use all the money they can get, but look at what it's done to productivity, which has driven up the prices of commodities. Now, on a progressive-oriented, community-sponsored local radio station on WMNF in the past month, there were two different hostesses who grossly understated the unemployment benefits, which uh, caused me to call them and correct them. Um, one of them was upset that DeSantis was stopping the $300 per month, which comes out to anywhere from, when it in addition to the state, unemployment money comes out to anywhere from $1,600 to $2,300 per month, or it used to up until May 29th. Now, those two hostesses and a couple callers said that the employee shortage sends a message to those bad employers that people are just tired of your you-know-what. And uh, that's not the attitude of someone with a decent work ethic, certainly not the attitude of an entrepreneur. Uh, certainly, they can't imagine what it's like to constantly have to tend to your dream, just struggling to keep it alive. 
your own business that could keep you alive. Because unemployment and other social programs are for those who need it, and those who can't work, those who can work and yet abuse those social programs are not only becoming mentally addicted to government money, they make it harder for those who need it to get the money when they need it, not when it's too late. Commodities are going up because productivity is going down, local businesses have to compete. As inflation rises, home sellers are going to get really soaked as the mortgage mortgages are repaid in dollars of ever-decreasing value. So home prices are going up because it's not worth it to sell. See how it's working out to consolidate power, especially with the multinational corporations like the big box stores and mail order likes of Amazon, the China Marts, the dollar stores selling harmful products, uh, cheap products, and to make you a slave, just living for the city as Stevie Wonder would sing. Feeling like uh, people have to work for the multinational corporations who were allowed to stay open while local businesses were shut during the pandemic. They have no allegiance to any country. They put people to work at slave wages. And uh, if you weren't aware of that, and, and they feel as if they, they can just uh, put out defective and deadly products and people will have, feel like they have to buy them. Because our manufacturing is undermined and offshored since the 90s. So we have China Marts taking over with their defective and deadly products, offering only wage slave jobs. And um, I want everyone to know that we are all in this together. So those who are afraid of going to work for a bad employer understand that you're just allowing the multinational corporations to consolidate their power. Start being an entrepreneur as much as you can. Now, doesn't the present situation of the Federal Reserve note petrodollar-based economy exemplify Keynesian economics? That's John Maynard Keynes. Yes, with various manufactured economic crises as pretexts, productivity can no longer be measured in goods and services, but by instead how fast currency and credit trades hands, or at least seems to. And thus, currency and credit are falsely considered a product. So bear in mind that in 1911, Keynes became treasurer of the Cambridge University Eugenics Society. He was vice president of the British Eugenics Society from 1937 to 1944. And if he's a eugenicist, he doesn't believe in keeping the frail alive. So this type of economic system is geared toward that same direction. Well, finishing up the show, I'd just like to mention Eric Clapton. He took the Pfizer shot, and now he's an ex-vaxxer. Don't call him a anti-vaxxer. He took the shot. He's an ex-vaxxer. And I, wanna, I want people to understand that you wouldn't, to have the compassion to know you wouldn't fault a celebrity like that for reporting on how he can no longer play guitar. But a lot of people will fault people, others who are vaccine injured and want to report it. I've seen it on the radio. I call in and trying to point it out. They lack compassion, apparently. I think they just want, 
the vaccine injured to take one for the team and be quiet because vaccines are beyond reproach. And uh, we know that they're not. You can also see the section on vaccines, immunizations, and uh, disorders that are on the links page at theliberationstation.com. Go to the site, check us out, look at the archives, and we will be back next Tuesday, 8 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. I'm Chris Steiner, and all take great care. trying to beat the heat in Arizona where some temperatures have reached triple digits. Well, we stay inside in the shade or we swim. The hot air in the western U.S. stretches into parts of Utah, Montana and Wyoming. CBS meteorologist Jeff Baradelli. This compounded heat and drought is a very big reason why fire seasons have become so destructive and we should definitely prepare this summer and fall for a very dangerous fire.